You're listening to Bulletproof Radio with Dave Asprey. Today's cool fact of the day is hot. It's actually about the world's hottest pepper. A guy ate the world's hottest pepper called a Carolina Reaper, and this thing's about 250 times as spicy as a jalapeno with about a 2 million Scoville heat unit measure. He ended up being the first person ever to have severely narrowed arteries in his brain that showed on a CT scan as a result of eating a hot pepper. And I can tell you, I was one of those people who would slice raw habaneros on my omelets. I just love to cry when I eat until I realized that I was absolutely sensitive to nightshade vegetables. And unfortunately, my soul food, these peppers that make you cry, are in that family. When I eliminated those things, which are really good and anti-inflammatory for about three quarters of people, if you're in the quarter people like me, they're actually a kryptonite food. They're on the suspect foods list, and they're a suspect food that actually can be guilty for some people and really good for others. So you got to know. But in the meantime, even if you do enjoy peppers as much as I used to, you probably don't want to eat the ones that are that spicy straight unless you want to experience a thunderclap headache, which apparently is pretty, pretty negative. What if there was a way to level up your energy, get rid of stress, and take more control of your body? Welcome to Quantum Upgrade. This is a new technology that taps into quantum energy to help you feel amazing. Quantum Upgrade has a lot of different products that help protect you from EMF and help activate your body's natural healing abilities. You can expect better sleep, more resilience, less stress, and better blood flow. The cool thing about Quantum Upgrade is that the products are backed by a lot of heavy-duty scientific studies, and there's a new measurable upgrade. You can now use Quantum Upgrade to increase your consciousness levels between 1,400 and 2,200 on the Hawkins map of consciousness. If you don't know what that means, do some research because it's impressive, it's fun to learn about, and it's something that I've come to understand. Ready to try Quantum Upgrade? Visit quantumupgrade.io slash Dave for a seven-day free trial. Today's guest on the show is a friend and a best-selling author, a motivational speaker, and a guy who's helped about two million people online with his teachings. I wrote the foreword for his last book called Claim Your Power, and it's none other than Mastin Kip. Mastin, welcome to the show. Dave! Super stoked to be here, man. Very, very excited. And I want to publicly thank you because you turned that forward around in like three seconds. Uh, fastest I've ever seen in the world. So thank you so much. And it's beautiful. So thank you so much for having me, for supporting the book and being here. I'm very excited to be here with you today. So, Mastin, you're, I, I think I maybe short shirked you a little bit on the intro because Oprah called you one of a hundred awakened leaders and put you on a list with people like Tony Robbins and Deepak Chopra and Marianne Williamson and Eckhart Tolle. And, and you're definitely uh, leading, I think, a, a new generation of people through a, a really pragmatic a functional approach to just dealing with what's going on in your head. And longtime listeners know you want to perform better as a human being. You listen to the answers on, on this show. Almost all of them include something about like being more mindful or more aware or getting out of your own way. And it's not enough to just eat the right stuff and exercise the right way. That's a good foundation, but it's what do you do with the software in your head? And I want to interview you specifically Mastin about what you're doing with functional life coaching uh, which is a, a field that you created and just what, what you're doing to get people 
to make better decisions that maybe don't have anything to do with food. Although I know that you talk about bulletproof all the time. Oh my gosh, so. all the time. <laughs> but that, it's not about that. Totally. And I've had a lifelong uh, relationship with food that's mostly been adversarial until the last few years and being getting my diet in control. And you know, I, I mean, d- doing most of the bulletproof protocols pretty much compliant. You know, has changed completely changed my life. And there is a, another layer to stuff. And and I think it's you know the the times that we're in, Dave, is I think you know if you look at the 1900s. Uh, there's all these ideas, like you have, you know, the the birth of uh, William James and American psychology of Carl Jung, and you have Freud and all these guys making these distinctions and creating these mental models that, oh my God, you have a brain and a mind and psychology and mindset. And now I think we're in a different phase. We're in an ontological phase of of, of uh, embodiment, and that means we have to go out of the head into the body. And that's happening with uh, programs like Bulletproof, with tools like Viome, and then also with uh, protocols like functional coaching. Because when you look at it, trying to change your life at a with personal development, you know, reframing a limiting belief or changing your story or doing a meditation or a mantra, you know, is is sort of like numbing uh, uh, symptoms of something much deeper, similar to functional medicine. You know, functional medicine doctors, when as you know, when you have that high cholesterol, don't just give you a, a lipid. Sometimes they reduce your lipids. They look at that root cause. And so the coaching and personal development space has to pivot and change to include and really start with the root cause trauma work because that's why the affirmations aren't working. And a lot of times the root cause trauma is what causes that dysbiosis in your physiology because you're coping with this emotional issue that you haven't cleared with you know, cookies, <laughs> uh, too much alcohol, drugs, you name it, which is producing dysbiosis in the body. That dysbiosis produces uh, more pain and suffering, which you want to then cope with with bad food and stuff like that. So it's completely related. Uh, to food, it's they're they're completely interchangeable for sure. Your story is is pretty interesting. You were a Hollywood music manager, <laughs> and when I first met you, yeah. I think you just stepped out of that life. You were still, I, I think the technical word is pretty fat. <laughs> you could call me uh, morbidly obese. I was at uh, uh, my top thirty five percent body fat was my top thirty five percent. So where, that's pretty big. Where are you now? <laughs> um, I'm at about twenty two, and it's been fluctuating and the hard part has been uh, actually because my career has been taken off the travel stuff and I just figured out actually about three weeks ago how to like lose weight on the road uh, and it's that hard. happened. Yeah, it's hard. It's so hard. Um, and it's mostly just making the decision that I was worth the investment to make it happen. But now uh, I've been back. I have about a 10-week stretch and I'm dropping about five pounds a week now that I'm back in the zone because when I can really dial in my hormones and my sleep and stuff like that and my training, uh, it comes right off. But yeah, the, the travel stuff is what has been throwing me off. But we're we're getting the fi- – I can talk about that too. There's a lot of cool travel hacks you can do. It's kind of funny because you travel maybe as much as I do. And a lot of people are saying like you know, I travel for work or something like that. But there's a certain thing that happens when you're one of the, the so-called road warriors where you're just always on a plane somewhere. I travel between 125 and maybe 170 days a year, mm-hmm. uh, and I, I do it for a good cause. I, and I recognize I'm taking a hit, right? And it it's not good for you to do that. Um, however, I, I feel like I'm producing more good than harm when I do it. And I like everything I know uh, to undo or prevent or mitigate the damage is just built in. And I've actually dropped weight this year too. I'm I'm depending on you know, which day when using the electrical scale, a very high end one. I'm somewhere between like 9.5 and 11% body fat as a, I don't Fantastic. know, my, I don't know what my top percentage body fat was, but when you, I used to weigh 300 pounds and I'm about, yeah. two, about 216 now and relatively muscular. 
Uh, so I and you're Benjamin Buttony, dude. Like somehow you get younger as like you know what I mean. Like in ten years, you're gonna look like you're like fifteen. You know what I mean? Like it's crazy. <laughs> I, I think it's possible for all of us, man. That that's a whole different conversation. But yeah, the the getting younger thing is uh, it's possible and real, and and it's it takes way too much work, and it's frankly too expensive right now. But that'll all change. Like like yep. someone has to show it can be done, and then we can figure out how to make it cheap and widely accessible. But the the bigger thing is. Even if you do all the stuff we just talked about, <laughs> if the voice in your head uh, and, and sort of your patterns are off, even if you're saying, I'm going to take care of myself when I'm traveling, you're not going to do it. Yes. And something's going to stop you, and that something is you. And, and when I, I read your book and decided to write the foreword for Claim Your Power, I'm like, you know, you've, you've got a bunch of exercises, but just a basic awareness, because you had to go through it as the you know, literally drug addicted music manager, loser, uh, fat loser, actually, would be a, an Thank apt you. descriptor. <laughs> you're right. No, you're right. You're right. But, yeah, I mean, like, that's how you describe yourself in your book. Yep. And maybe I'm paraphrasing there, but uh, I'm allowed to say you were fat because I was too. So otherwise you have to say I was obese. But No, man. I was, I was, I was fat as fuck. <laughs> there you go, right? And, and like, in fact, in fact, you can say that without, like, totally. without feeling it in your gut, like, oh, I was a bad person because of that. You've dealt with you know, the trauma of that. And in your book... And in a lot of my my own personal development work and a lot of the stuff I do with neurofeedback, uh, 40 years of Zen and some of the recommendations around EMDR, it is about like getting people out of uh, out of their own way. And what's your what's your picture of trauma? Like, like, how does it come into our body? How does it manifest itself? So trauma is first of all, I just want to clarify when people hear the word trauma, they think, uh, you know, significant, like, like you're, you're, you're on a battlefield and you lost a limb or you have uh, some type of sexual assault that was violent or you were mugged. And of course those things fall into the lens of trauma, but there, like, there are like a million shades of trauma from like your parents were gone and you didn't have an emotional connection to them to like your father was five minutes late. And it all boils down to really these, these two ideas, whether in the beginning of your life, you either had a level of anxiety and attachment realizing with the core idea that my needs won't get met or you had a sense of healthy attachment to the world. Einstein would say, is the universe safe or is it dangerous? And if you have anxious attachment, how you go through stuff is far more traumatic than if you have healthy attachment. That's why it's not what you go through, it's how you go through it. And you know, Viktor Frankl, when he talks about logotherapy and he, when he was in Auschwitz, you know, he talks a lot about meaning. And the other thing that we're now learning is that it's not just about the meaning, it's also the physiology because long-term dysbiosis can occur when you go through trauma with anxious attachment. So we can get into that. But the fundamental question you have to ask is, uh, when you're a child is, is this place safe? Or is this healthy? Is this, is this attachment uh, healthy attachment? And so, yeah, I get, I get very excited when I talk about this. So, so, so if you have anxious attachment, which most of us do, then what starts to happen is you start to have coping mechanisms. And that starts usually with most of us with some version of sugar, high fructose corn syrup. And then it kind of, you know, sugar is a gateway drug into everything else, essentially. Then that, what does that start to do? You know, chronic leaky gut, that starts to happen. You have uh, all kinds of fascia issues and tissues. And then if you go through something traumatic, like a breakup or an assault, then your system isn't resilient enough to handle it. So it's just kind of like, just like starts to bottom out, which is why certain people can go through very intense things that have post-traumatic growth, while other people and most people go through post-traumatic stress because their system wasn't ready for or resilient enough to be able to handle it emotionally. So think of it like leaky gut. If you have leaky gut and you try to eat something that's, you know, 
not good for you. It's kind of a way worse effect on it than if you just have a really strong gut but a treat meal. It's a very different uh, scenario. So, um, so that would be a sort of a very sort of high level approach to it. And this trauma stuff, you know, no, it, when you don't address the trauma and you're trying to do a personal development process, it's kind of like think of it like a pressure cooker. You can open it up a little bit, let off some steam. But eventually, you close that thing back up, and the pressure starts to build up again. So we have this high-level coping mechanisms that we use, and the quantified self stuff can just be coping if you don't do the underlying trauma work. If you do the underlying trauma work, it's a dashboard to your life, if that makes any sense. I love it that you're defining trauma, what I would say, properly. We all hear about trauma doctors, and we all think like blood and guts. But (laughs) one of the most traumatic things that's happened to most of us is there, there was a day uh, when your mom said, you know, you can't have the boob anymore and you're, yep. you know, you're a year old or whatever. And, uh, and, and going, I'm really, really pissed off that I don't have this anymore. <laughs> and that like little angry experience is a trauma, right? Yep. And for some people it lands like really deep and it, it's like, you know, I used to get nourishment and love together and now I don't. And you end up with these patterns it has nothing to do with whether you're a strong human being or a good human being. It's just like your body picks it up, but it's not anywhere in your conscious mind and you, and it becomes invisible. And that's in my own life. What I figured out was the sneakiest and sort of nastiest thing about traumas is that they set up a pattern in your nervous system that's totally outside your awareness. And it, it flavors the world around you so that when you see something, you see it through that lens, but you don't know the lens is there. That's right. How do you go about uh, teaching someone, and I know some of this is in your book, but I want you to walk listeners through it. Of course. Like to know that maybe they have an old pattern that isn't serving them. <laughs> if you're a human being that's alive, <laughs> you have a pattern or two. There you go. That's first and foremost. You know, our brains aren't even really fully developed until we're about, you know, what, mid 20s. So, so we're going through things as kids that we don't even have a meaning or context or awareness of what that actually is. And then we just take it on as normal. And so here's how trauma manifests in everyday life. It manifests as anxiety, low-level depression. It manifests as worrisome thoughts. It manifests as obesity. All of the sort of chronic illnesses that we're seeing have two components. And one of the big components has been the focus on physiology, right? Chronic inflammation. But you also have to look at the underlying uh, emotional component to what drives that physiology. And it's a chicken and the egg. What's more important, you know, your physiology or your trauma work? I would say probably both. You need to focus on your microbiome health and your trauma work. You have to focus on reducing inflammation and reducing traumatic inflammation. So on a very simple level, if you have anxiety, anxiety is sort of the clinical word for fear. Uh, Fear is the achiever word for stress, right? Um, And that is all just sort of something that we need to kind of focus on. And so if you go underneath the stress, well, why am I stressed? Well, there's a threat here. And I'm telling myself a story about this experience that I'm having. And I'm telling myself this specific story because underneath that story is an emotion that I'm experiencing that I may or may not be aware of. Usually it's unconscious. And you start to look at what produces emotion, and that's the context through which – that's the lens that you were just describing. It's the context or the beliefs that we have about what, what – is this universe safe or is this universe healthy? And then you have to look at, well, what happened in your life to create that context? So you know, people talk about having to go to therapy for 10 years to figure this out. You can do it in 20 minutes. It's not a hard thing to figure out. The hard part is creating new habits, environments, patterns, belief systems, and cultures and, and people that you hang out with that reinforce who you're becoming. That's really the hard part to do it. But you know, these, these personal development protocols that say you don't need to know what happened to you, 
what they're really saying is, I don't know how to get there. And the functional coaching process is just as a systems approach to get to that root cause trauma and say, hey, this thing happened. You had an anxious attachment because of it. So everything you've ever done as a result of that makes complete sense from the lens of survival. So don't have to be mad at yourself or beat yourself up. You can have compassion that you did a great job surviving. And yesterday's medicine for surviving is today's poison for thriving. And there's a level of uh, chill and relaxation and awareness that starts to happen when you know what you did and why you did it that um, you know is something that we haven't focused on yet. But it's necessary now because a lot of these tools are relieving pressure, but they're not creating long-term change and transformation. When I was about 30, um, I started like doing really heavy-duty personal development work, uh, probably just to figure out you know, why I would get in, in bad relationships or, or just make crappy choices. And then afterwards, just like, why did I do that? Like, <laughs> I, I question, like, am I stupid? Like, I know I'm not stupid. You know, is, is there something wrong with me? And I was working with this group, and, and they're like, Dave, you, you're afraid just like you're talking about Mastin. But I, I looked at this woman, her name is Barbara, and and said, how could I be afraid? There's no reason for me to be afraid, uh, so therefore I'm not afraid. And I think this is a very common mindset, especially amongst like my, my peers in Silicon Valley. And yep. you know, if, if you're a well-educated, or even not a well-educated, just a, a highly rational person who thinks about things, when you think about this, it doesn't make any sense. What do you say to people? Who are like, <laughs> I, what do you mean fear? Like, screw you, buddy. I'm not afraid of anything. I'm just pissed off at those people. Sure. I, I would say your cup is too full. And we've discovered your first limiting belief, which is that you don't have any trauma to work on. But in all seriousness, uh, well, there's two things you just said. I, I love exponential thinking. And I, I think exponential problems, you know, solving problems is everything. But like, you're not going to be able to sustain exponential growth without exponential healing at the <laughs> exactly. same time. Like, you can't do it. Okay. So first of all, it's the thing that nobody's talking about. Like when you talk about like everybody losing their job to AI, like the bigger problem is how they respond to losing their job, which is like if they don't have their trauma figured out, it's over basically. The machines won't kill us, like we'll take ourselves out. So we have to have a focus on exponential healing. But what I would say is, is that if you're not experiencing equanimity or peace, and this is not like the healthy stress of like a micro trauma to build a muscle or to live in a certain level of high performance, this is like if you're consistently angry, if you're not in a nurturing relationship, if you're not in a relationship that's serving you, if you're not really lit up by your work, if you're not experiencing general flow consistently, trauma's in the way. And the question, the, the real thing you should do, especially if you're a high achiever, is get curious because, you know, if you take the approach of uh, Elon Musk or any of these like, you know, billionaire guys that are doing big stuff, they all have root cause analysis in their mindset, right? So like, what's the root cause of my anger? I guarantee you it's trauma. Uh, it's just, we haven't had a lot of a framework for it. And there's been a stigma like, oh, if I do my trauma work, then I'm weak. It's kind of like when we used to think therapy was weak or like when Richard Gere came out as a Buddhist, everyone was upset at that time. But what's so cool about what you're doing, Dave, and I think this is amazing that you're leading the way on this is that, you know, I've seen you talk before Claim Your Power came out about how like trauma work is sort of a part of being a high functioning person. So really you're actually behind the curve if you're not doing your trauma work because the people who are doing their trauma work are making a better impact. They're feeling safe in their success. They're building better nurtured relationships and they're going to be able to better adapt and handle uh, exponential growth. So especially the high achievers, like the minute you start to think that you know you are so screwed. And you know that in business. Like we know that when we are, we're the experts, like I mean, Naveen Jane talks about, as soon as you're the expert, you're no longer relevant in an industry. So you need to just approach it, even if you're a billionaire, or even if you're someone who's highly successful with that uh, sort of open mind and that empty cup philosophy, just, just like you would a brand new business. 
there's this, the model of a, a high performance car. It seems to work really well. Although I have a surprising number of friends who don't have cars or know anything about them anymore. <laughs> I'm still going to use uh, the analogy. If you have a car and the engine doesn't work very well, like it just can't make enough power to go as fast as it could. Okay. Um, you can solve that problem. And that's usually like a food and toxin sort of thing. And that's why I started out there. But if the brakes are always on, on the car, Yep. And it doesn't steer right. That's where trauma comes in because like the, you, you think the steering wheel is pointed forward, but it's pointed sideways, but you don't know. And you don't know that the brakes are always on a little bit until basically the car won't go as fast as it could. So the high performers, like they make sure the steering wheel matches where the tires are going and they make sure the brakes aren't on a little bit. And that's why trauma matters for high performance, because that's what changes your direction, but it's invisible. You just don't know. Uh, and, I, I believe that I wouldn't be able to do the things that that are part of my life. You know, just being a, a good parent, and you know, a husband, and and to be able to like podcasts and books and you know events and and just all the the stuff I'm doing, and, and to be the CEO of a of a medium sized company at this point, like, like with trauma, like with my brakes on all the time, I would I would hit the wall. <laughs> like I, right. I would be nuts, and I'm actually feeling pretty happy, which is yeah, kind of astounding. Well, and rare are, for someone in your position. It, it is. Uh, <laughs> and I kind of keep questioning myself, am I am I really happy or am I just like following some old pattern? But I'm pretty sure I'm really happy. What about you, Bastin? I mean, you're, you've had phenomenal growth in, in your, your online presence. You know, you've been on uh, on Oprah's, Oprah's list and, you know, you've been on stage all over. You're flying all over the place. Uh, your, your career's on fire. Where's your happy level? I would say that I'm at a probably like right now out of a 10, I'm like at an eight coming out of a four. <laughs> okay. Like I had, I just went through a crazy tr- uh, contraction for the last couple of years actually. And I've been coming out of that. And the reason why I've been coming out of it is because, you know, you teach what you got to learn. I've been deep in my own work for probably the last two or three years um, because I did hit an upper limit. I hit a wall. I hit a, I hit a, I hit a growth. And I was like, why am I not, I should be growing faster. I started looking at, wow, you know what? Like your parents weren't there emotionally for you. So you got really good doing stuff by yourself, but I need collaboration to be in a partnership with a, uh, with uh, Jenna, my girlfriend and, and partner. I need collaboration to be in an ecosystem of peers. Um, I need to learn how to integrate and do that type of stuff. Cause it was scary for me to interact with people. And also, you know, when I put out the claim your power book, there was a lot of people, uh, unexpectedly who came and supported and there's a lot of people who didn't. And so I've had a, a major shifting around of relationships. I'd ask myself, what does that mean? And when I was there for people who, you know, weren't reciprocal, um, what does that mean? You know? Um, and it's just been a, like a, a soul searching process. And then who am I? You know, I had this blog called the daily love that got millions of people reading it. And uh, we could be at mind body green size by now if I had kept pursuing it, if I wanted to. Um, but I decided to shut it down because something was calling me and I had to do soul searching and figure out what differentiates me from a Lewis or you or, you know, Brendan or Tony. And I had to figure all that soul searching work out and had to go through sort of a dark night of the soul to figure all that out. So there was a, a, a rebirthing process that was extremely scary for the last couple of years. All of our numbers were down. Revenue uh, was uh, you know, sort of stable and declining, but in growing a little bit. There was just all the systems that weren't in place. It was painful. And then there was the existential pain of who am I? How do I fit into all this? Um, and I started to slowly figure that stuff out. Um, and now I'm sort of have come out of that like I know who I am, at least for right now. Might change in five or ten years, but I have a pretty good, clear sense of that and like how I can uniquely contribute. But it was, that was terrifying to go through, awful because you thought you had something and then you had to basically burn it all down, <laughs> essentially. 
It, it sounds familiar to me. And I, I talk about how I made $6 million when I was 26. And yep. people always hear that, and then they don't hear the second part, which is, and when I was 28, I lost it. Yep. <laughs> right? And I, I've i just learned from watching entrepreneurs, uh, from coaching them, and, and just from being one, I think the the state of your business directly reflects the state of your energy. And, and this is true of, of even bigger companies uh, where you know, if, if the CEO or a primary leader in the company is having you know a, a bad relationship issues at home or, or just going through a, a rough emotional patch, I, I can't tell you why unless you want to invoke you know quantum woo-woo whatever, yep. uh, which I'm okay to do, but I, I can't tell totally. you I know that's why, but there's something that happens where like why did the business wobble when it shouldn't have? It's because the the person who's feeding the energy into the business wobbled. Do you, do you buy that? A hundred percent. I mean, there's, there's peer reviewed research and then there's just experiential data, right? Right. Experiential data is way more valuable. What I'll tell you, say is I've absolutely seen that be the case for me. Most of my clients, uh, I would say pretty much all my clients and it, there is an energetic frequency that absolutely happens. Just, I mean, if you think that's weird, you know, look at your cell phone. You can't see the connection, but Wi-Fi exists, you know, LG, whatever, you know, 5, 4G, 5G exists. So like I absolutely believe and especially like in looking into my research in the microbiome the last four or five months, I'm absolutely convinced those microbes talk to the field 100 percent. I'm, I'm convinced of that. Yeah. But I do see that there is a, a direct correlation between how the leader is vibrating and how the organization vibrates. And one of my core values is to view everything that happens in my life as a living lesson. Uh, and when I view things that way, then I can start to take responsibility and pivot and change and not let it have to define who I am or make become a part of my identity. Let's go back to what you said about, about your book launch. And uh, if you're okay with it, sure. I would like to explain to people listening exactly how some book launches work and sort of <laughs> sure. walk through the book launch model the, the old way, the, the way I think that, that, you were, uh, that you were relying on and we're like, you know, who are my real friends kind of thing. So here's the thing. Like, I, don't, and I don't think a lot of people in this space, maybe I'm just speaking, I'll speak for you and me because I know this is true for you too. Yeah. Like, I don't ever give the expectation of return, but I enjoy reciprocal relationships where there's mutual energy exchange. That to me is like, just that's abundance mindset, right? You help someone who's doing good work without expecting something back. Yeah. And you just, yeah. you give, and then, you know, you like expect, you know, or, or rely on or hope that the people that care about you sort of, you know, there's a reciprocation because it's just abundance, right? That's all it is. That's abundance mindset. I don't believe in the whole buy a bunch of books and give it away for free thing and, uh, you know, hit the list and then disappear. Like when I put something out, I want it to be iconic and a long-term plan. So people ask me like, what's up with my next book? It's like claim your power is my next book because I'm going to have like a, a very long promotional cycle. And I want to keep talking about it because it's a very important book. And so when we went to put the book out, you know, I started, so this is like my, this is like 10 years in the making of like my frameworks and learning stuff and I'm just very excited about it. And you know, a book launch, it's like, oh, poor him. But no, but like a book launch is a vulnerable moment. It's like a scary moment. It's terrifying if for everybody, whoever goes through one. And, you know, uh, you look at like the people who are in your network and in relationships and say, hey, I need help with this. And would you put this out and would you talk about it? And it's incredible, Dave, uh, when you do that, you get to see who shows up and who doesn't show up. And it's a very different <laughs> conversation than when you have something that other people want. And they show up and they ask for things. Because I'm just a very – basically, if you ask me for something, I'll give it to you for the most part. Um, and so this was instead of me having a, a leverage to help somebody, this was me needing some support and help. And it's very scary for me to do that, to ask for help. 
And I was very surprised at who showed up, including you. You did, I mean, I'm super grateful. It was like amazing. We had a lot of people support the book, uh, you know, Tony Robbins, Deepak Chopra, like a lot of people. And then there were people who, you know, for me were like, oh yeah, that's my friend. And then they kind of like disappeared. <laughs> and, and you're just kind of like, what's up with that? And then you call them on it. And then they say, the complete, they just give you lines of BS. And you just start to realize like, you know what? I realized that I'm not in a relationship. I'm, I've just been given to you and you've been taken. And that's just a completely different um, experience. And it's, it, was, it was very heartbreaking at the time because you think you have a certain relationship with certain people and then you realize, you know what? That's actually not the case. And then I ask myself the question, what does that mean? What's the lesson in this? And the lesson for me has been differentiation and then nurturing really solid generative relationships like the one that we have, you know, you have always been so generous and so kind and so giving for no reason. And that's been, I mean, a major blessing in my life, but you know, like, like you are, you are the example of somebody, I'm not saying this on your podcast, this is just what's true, who just operates from that abundance mindset. And so, you know, when you go through a book launch or any type of promotion where you're asking people stuff, especially people you've done solids for in the past and they don't show up, it's just, you start to realize like, Hey, you know what? Like this is a transactional relationship in one direction. And you know what? Like, cool. Um, but I'm just not going to vibe with that anymore. And then you create that hole in your life and then cool new things start to come in from that vacuum, I think. It actually triggers uh, abandonment uh, for a lot of authors, which is an yeah, old trauma. It's and it's abandonment usually happens. It's a feeling you get when you're a small child, right? And then it can happen, you know, if your parents break up or if you, know, you have a bad relationship, all sorts of things can trigger it. But it is incredibly vulnerable. It's like, here's my best work. I'm going to throw it out there in public and see if like people shit all over it. Uh, whether I mean, like, like they, <laughs> totally. they could, or just no one will even pay any attention, right? And and it, it is emotionally really intense. And this is something that that people listening, unless you've like written a book or had a really big project like a play or something that you're putting on, uh, in that opening night, you just don't know what's going to happen. So there's yep. always a little bit of of just something in the pit of your stomach going, God, I you know I hope this is as good as I think it is, and maybe it is that good, and still no one listens, uh, which is a failure of execution, which is also still your fault. And yes. and then <laughs> all of us out there, you know, who have the ability to reach people, like like we know each other, uh, at least most of us do, and, and most of us know who are the people who steal content and you know, the people who are <laughs> who are untrustworthy, and and they they're all kind of on blacklists and. Uh, and then it is is weird when you ask people for help, and sometimes like I'm not in a position to do it, and I'm in a I'm in a weird place right now, Mastin, where like I'll always help people when I can, but I literally have 800 authors who've asked to be on Bulletproof Radio, I can't imagine. and I'm like, wow, there's 110 episodes a year, uh, and we just interviewed uh, uh, Laura Logan, you know, CBS yeah. correspondent, and and you know some really just profound people I want to I want to talk with. I'm like, actually. I, I, I want to help everyone, but I'm realizing I also have a personal capacity where like, if you're always giving, like, I just, I can't make it, I can't fit it in there. Right. That's right. And, and so I don't want to trigger that feeling of abandonment in people, but I'm also willing to let them feel abandoned. If I give them a genuine, <laughs> Hey, like I'm not going to, you know, have you as a guest on the show, maybe because your book really isn't that good <laughs> or <laughs> maybe, maybe because right. you're saying something that, that people who listen already know about. But that feeling of, of vulnerability and then questioning and then maybe being let down, it takes just guts to do it. How did you develop the guts to do that? Like, like just walk me through like what went through your, your emotional energy when yeah. you were launching Claim Your Power. I always – and this is something I learned in the music business. Uh, when you're in the position of power and you like help people, that's a really good thing. If you're in a position of power and you take – 
that's not a good thing because long term, the marathon of life, you're not going to net have any positive. So I always have a helper mentality. In like the give and take uh, by Adam Grant, I'm definitely a giver. And so that's how I build everything. I try to add as much value. I always ask questions. How can I help? How can I serve? That's what I lead with. And so um, I had done a lot of investing in friends and relationships and just giving and giving and giving. And I was like, so excited. Like, guys, I've been working on this for so long. I can't wait to share it. And I just had this sort of like uh, desire to be like, just share this work and the excitement around it. And, you know, I would say that there was a good probably 60, 70% of the people who showed up who were there. And then a bunch of people who I'd never anticipated to show up who were there. But then there was just like 30, 40% of people who some of them were busy, which is understandable, but there was a couple of few people um, who like, like they absolutely had no reason not to do anything other than they just chose not to, which we can get into why that was. Maybe I have, I have ideas. But in me, that felt like, what the fuck? <laughs> Anger, resentment, absolute abandonment, because that's my, that's my core wound is alone. Like I'm used to being alone and I would rather like be in the worst toxic relationship than be alone. Uh, according Still? to my, my, my no, according to my trauma pattern, like right. my, that, that's that, that's a present pattern for me. That's why I speak about it in the present moment. Because if I said I used to, that would be denying that part of me. It's a very small part of me now, but it's still there. Okay, that part of me would rather be in a toxic relationship than alone. <laughs> now I work on it and I give it what it needs. But here's the thing: because I created functional coaching and because I know what my patterns are, I know ahead of time when I'm going to go into a vulnerable moment like that. Here's the five or six things that's going to get triggered in you, and here's what you should do instead. And so I have like a preparedness plan, and it's not like this like doom and gloom thing where I'm like casting doubt or fear on myself. It's like I know these are the, your five or six triggers, and when you do that, here's what you do. The only difference was in a book launch, it's just more exacerbated. It's a bigger experience and like – just like sending an email, nobody responds to you or something like that. It's a very different experience. But I, I had my self-care. I had my positivity team. Um, and you know, I also really focused. The most important thing is to focus on the, the, the thing that's in front of you and the relationships that are generative and nurturing. And then that's the most important thing. And then the rest of it, you just kind of like – you have to like let it sort of slide off your back. But in the moment, like I had two or three people that I would call and just like not have to be the coach and just not vent but just – disclose this is what I'm experiencing. And like to have those safe containers and relationships is super valuable because, you know, I know all of us are doing big stuff and high performance and bestsellers and whatever, but we all have our stuff we have to talk about and we have to, you know, work through and we all have to self-disclose. So having those core group of people that were helping me through that process was vital. And then my own self-care and best, all that type of stuff as well was super vital too. That pattern uh, that you describe around um, choosing to be in, in a toxic, bad relationship instead of being alone, that's what leads to codependence, where, where you tend to feel <laughs> responsible for other people, and, and you basically make them responsible for your happiness, you're responsible for theirs. All day. How, pre how prevalent is that pattern in, in the world today, or, or maybe just in, <laughs> in North America today, would you say? Well, it's an interesting thing, Dave, because if you look at, like, for example, the, how the microbiome is oriented, right? The microbiome is like all of these different things that are interdependent on each other. So I think there's a level of interdependence that's sort of innate in how we're wired and how we're programmed. The problem is when you make the leap from, hey, you know what, we should like we need to be working together to I will save you, <laughs> which is like mm -hmm. way different. And I would say that that's a, a extremely prevalent pattern in the world today because of um, mostly Anglo-Christian Anglo uh, values of thinking that some savior will come back and save you. 
um, that's something that's sort of like you know talk about epigenetics. Like that's 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 a story that's in most of us, almost all of us. Even if you're not Christian, you know a lot of the old Egyptian myths of Osiris has uh, uh, someone being born of a virgin and crucified and risen three days later, and will return. So we're kind of like waiting around for someone to come save us, and then some of us, you know, no one handled it. As a kid, no one was taking care of stuff, so we decided we're going to take care of it. So most people are either waiting to be saved or finding, trying to find someone to save. <laughs> it's basically how it is uh, across. I, I see that everywhere, and I work with mostly women. Strange, I'm a six foot five white guy who works with mostly women, and there's a very, very prevalent mend and attend pattern uh, that definitely borderlines on codependency for sure. Because you know, if you look at the epigenetics of of how most women have been treated essentially forever. It's been be quiet, take care of things, shut up. That's basically how it's been. Oh, and you're the spoils of war. Now, the last hundred years has had a major shift in how women's empowerment and uh, recognition has changed, and especially the last two years with the Me Too movement, it's completely changed the conversation. But there's still a very deep, inbreded survival response to take care of things, um, which is not a bad thing. But at your own detriment, that's when things get really bad. And that's not just for women, but it's because that's who I mostly work with. That's why I'm talking about. Uh, women in this context, but men have it this too, absolutely. For me, I I was born uh, with the umbilical cord wrapped around my throat. And oh my god! In the in the course of just doing my my own personal development work, I I actually kind of, I remember in some weird kind of floaty emotional way um, making a decision like right after I came out of the womb, being like like you know something tried to strangle me. Like I don't I don't know what's going on, but but I I, I know how I got that pattern. And I literally was like, oh, if I'm going to be alone, then I'll just be alone. And I literally didn't make, I didn't connect to people for like 30 years of my life until wow. I was like, oh, I have this, I have this old trauma. And like, now I have, I've identified wow. it and I can work on that. And I actually like got rid of that pattern. And now I have you know, good relationships and healthy relationships. And uh, I would say that there isn't any of that. And there's any of that left, like, like that pattern where I'd, I'd rather, you know, I'd, I'd rather be with a total jerk uh, than be alone. Like, no, I'm. I have codependent repellent. But for me, that was a huge amount of personal growth and it wasn't particularly easy. And that's one of the reasons I wrote the Forward Free book is I think you highlighted some activities that would at least make it apparent because I would have told you like that you were a lying jerk if you suggested that to me. I would be like, that's impossible. It makes <laughs> no sense. That's dumb. And I'm just, I'm, I'm incredibly fortunate that some really, um, really well-educated, um, just just powerful people out to do good, like they they kind of picked that up and, and pulled me aside and like, uh, you need to look at this. Yes, uh, well, one the one thing I will say, and I'm not going to tell you that you don't you don't have it handled because I know you do. But what I will say is, when you look at neural pathways that are created, you never get rid of one; it just lessens and atrophies. So what I would tell you is, I would say it's probably still there, but it's dormant, just like a virus, right? The reason why I'd say that is because I believe that they're like you just never know life circumstances that can re-trigger that. That's why I say there's always a part of me because I like to acknowledge that, like, yeah, that's still that's a neural pathway that exists in me. It's not the dominant. Uh, part of who I am. But I would just I would just say that like you have a massively handled. But my my just the reason why I just want to be crystal clear, I don't uh identify with that pattern as my identity or who I am. But I speak I, I acknowledge it because when I acknowledge it, it calms down. You yeah. know, and it it, it it can flare up. I mean think about like an inflammatory response. Like trauma is the same way. You can have those inflammatory patterns happen. So the more that I acknowledge that pattern, uh it's unlike Voldemort, nothing bad happens. But I absolutely think that um, you know, we have neural pathways and they never really go away. They just they just kind of atrophy over time. I think that's why people relapse and stuff like that. So that would be the only thing that I've sort of noticed as it relates to the physiology of, of, of trauma and patterns is that we can absolutely create new neural pathways and new myelin pathways and all that type of stuff. But the old ones are still kind of there. They're just kind of chilling. 
So that would be because, you know, like I, I'm with you. Like I, I like to, you know, I, I love my life now and I can imagine 10 different scenarios that where I could one second trip back into like that sort of like stoic, alone jerk who's like, fuck you to the world. And I'm going to do my thing. I do my best to like just be at peace with that, but also acknowledge that that part of me is still there. Um, I've just found that to be uh, a, a wise, uh, a wise mindset, which is not encouraging it. I think it's allowing it to, uh, like know that like, Oh, I see you. You're good. And it keeps the monster at bay. <laughs> well, the, the, the price of the price of freedom is eternal vigilance. Oh, and so what you're talking about there is if you want to remain free of it, you've got to always watch out to see if it happens again. And also there's that knowing that you know, you're not going to let it happen, which I think that's right. Helps. That's right. You write about something else in your book, uh, that, that ties to this in a way a lot of people might not expect. And something that, that also encouraged me to want to write your foreword was that in Claim Your Power, uh, you talk about finding your purpose. And, and I've fielded this question from so many people, like, I don't know what my purpose is. Right? I'm still trying to find it. And knowing what your purpose actually is versus what your parents told you it was or what you know, society told you it was, uh, and all these things is, is something that most of the people uh, like like you, Mastin, um, who I've worked with, I'm thinking Vishen Lakhiani is another guy like that, mm-hmm. who who sits down and basically says, look, I've, I've got to find my purpose. I'm going to stop believing all the, the just BS rules that are out there yeah. and get down to like, why am I really here? What is the value of knowing your purpose first? Oh. And secondly, how do you find it? Oh, man. Wow. Uh, we could do three hours on that question. There's two primary values to finding your purpose. We'll talk one, uh, which is uh, physiological, and there's all kinds of peer-reviewed research on this, but you know, it, uh, it uh, raises HDL and lowers LDL and lowers A1C, get, can extend your life up to 10 years. You look at uh, the blue zones in the world, and all the folks who are centenarians have a sense of purpose. So purpose, like in a very practical sense, uh, think about like your, it sends signals to your body that like you have use therefore be healthy. Think of it that way. And so that's really important. On an emotional and uh, financial level, it's like a compelling reason why you're going to do something. Like you, when you really get linked into like, I got to do this, then there's no limiting belief that's going to get in your way. There's no financial circumstance that's going to get in your way. And when you're really motivated by a sense of purpose or a mission larger than yourself, competition disappears and collaboration starts to emerge. So it's like really important if you want to have longevity and if you want to have high performance. It's so important. Well, How hold, do you find hold it? On. Hold on a second. Yes. I got I to gotta call a little okay. bit of PS in there. Competition disappears. You know the people who, who directly copy and paste your content and sell it as their own. Like, like that's it, not competition though. That's, that's thievery. That's, that's, okay. that's, that's <laughs> it's a definition uh, thing. All right. That, that, is, that is absolute uh, uh, illegal behavior right there. It, what it I is. mean is... What I mean is, like, for example, you know, I decided, uh, gosh, Naveen talked to me about in December about working with Viome. And he said, like, he, you know, I've been helping them with some of their marketing stuff. He says, I'll pay you whatever you want. I said, I want zero dollars uh, because I want to help with this cause. And I literally meant it. And I've been working with him now and I haven't made a dollar off of it. Uh, it's been a contribution because my mission is to end emotional trauma in my lifetime. That's what informed that decision. And anybody who's on that page, I can't be in competition with. I have to support them because we're on the same mission. And so it's that that's what I mean by competition okay, disappears. Got it. I do not mean that uh piracy disappears. <laughs> <laughs> that, that's, that, that's that's an important thing. I, I I'm like yeah. sometimes I look at, at people, I'm like, really? Like that's a really original idea. You're gonna put butter in coffee and say you invented yeah. it. Hey, get, it's like yeah. seriously? Like, like there's yeah. so much opportunity. So I'm 
I hear you there, but but your perception when you have a sense of mission is like, okay, that's an annoyance versus a mortal threat. And a lot of yep. smaller and uh, smaller size companies uh, and younger entrepreneurs, but this happens even like with you know sixty year old entrepreneurs. It doesn't really matter when your company's small; it's like your baby, and a threat to your baby is a threat to you. Yes. So it triggers all those like survival trauma things that we all have, because. and and that's one of the things. If you have a purpose, the the threat of trauma to quote your baby, which is your company, it seems like it's a lot less. So that's one because. of the roles of purpose. If I'm just, I think I'm restating yes. what you're saying there. Yes. Okay. Yeah, and, and semat- uh, semantics matter. So yes, um, that's absolutely accurate. Because when you're motivated by a cause larger than yourself and a sense of purpose, um, like survival tends to take care of itself. That is absolutely true. Like we have client after client after client who say, as soon as I start focusing on serving and taking care of people and like really living a life of purpose and meeting my own needs, like money just starts to show up and they wouldn't even pay attention to it and money would start to come in. That's the funny thing that happens when you're not focused on the food, you lose weight. And when you're not focused on the money, it comes in. Like it's, when you're just in that flow state, like that's just the, that's when like the magic happens. Um, now, how do you find your purpose? So real quick, there's two types of definitions because purpose is a term you have to define yeah. because there's, there's, no, uh, there's no common definition. And there's two ways to look at it. One is clinical and one is my own definition. Clinical definition of purpose is basically a life aim that stimulates behavior. That's it, right? It's like something that stimulates and motivates behavior. That's all it is. My definition of purpose goes a little bit deeper to say, okay, well, What's that life aim and why do you want it? Well, any goal, financial, losing weight, whatever it is you're trying to achieve, a relationship, all has an emotional payoff. So the real thing we're going for, the real target is an emotional state, not a thing. So that's why when you get somewhere and you're not happy, you focused on the wrong target. (laughs) I had a friend of mine who wanted to be a New York Times bestseller. She was happy for three days. Took her two years of stress to get to have three days of happiness. It's not a good investment. And so you have to start to look at like, you know what, okay, my real target here is an emotional state, a positive emotional state. So you have to have three things. You need emotional uh, awareness. How do I want to feel? You need emotional intelligence, which is, well, how do I produce that feeling? And then the third thing you need is emotional fitness, which is actually doing it <laughs> Right, right. <laughs> over time. And so when you start to realize, wow, my purpose is really an emotional state that I cultivate within myself and then express to others in the form of service – that those are three big steps, cultivating it, expressing it, and in the form of service. Then things start to shift because you can lose a business. You can lose, God forbid, a child or something like that, and you're going to go through a hard time, but you don't lose purpose. And when people lose purpose, that's when like suicide and like depression and all type of stuff starts to become very real for people. I've been there for myself. So when you realize that things on the outside will change, but your inner emotional states are things that you can influence and eventually control, then things start to really shift and change. And the other thing is – there's always someone to help. There's always someone to serve. There's always a problem to solve. So it's not about finding my purpose. It's about serving someone, and you, then you will start to figure out what you're here for. So it's really a, a craftsman mindset than it is like a singular focus on yourself. Because if you haven't found your passion or your purpose, it's probably because you're too focused on yourself and you're not focused on helping somebody or solving a problem. I confused uh, early on in my career uh, quite a lot. I, I confused that idea of having a purpose with having a, a goal. And mm-hmm. so when I made that $6 million that I lost, I, I literally looked at another friend, at, at pretty much everyone at this company, we held Google's first servers, you know, the, the hot.com company. Um, yeah. Everyone was, was just making money. Like you, you would not believe even in the, even in the Bitcoin froth we're having right now, we were making <laughs> money at that level. And it was, it was stupid. 
And and I looked at a friend and I said, you know, I'll be happy when I have $10 million. Yeah, that, then I'll stop. And like my whole goal had been like, money is going to make me happy. Like money is my purpose. And that was totally wrong. And that really directly contributed to me making really bad decisions to lose the $6 million. And your New York Times example there where you know my, my purpose is to hit the New York Times list. Well, there you go. You got three days of happiness and you're back and you actually didn't have a purpose. You, you had a goal and you told yourself right. the goal would make you happy. How do you teach people uh, in your work and in functional life coaching to find what's a real purpose versus a goal that they think is going to make them happy? It's a couple of things. Number one is I would say 99.9% of the time, whatever trauma you went through, once you address it and focus on it, that's kind of going to contribute to what you're what you're going to do in the world, right? Like, like for example, uh, my one of my big traumas was around being overweight. That was a big trauma for me. And like, I love helping people figure out their microbiome health and how to have a healthy life. Like, I love that stuff. Um, that's a big part of what I do. And so, when you realize that your pain can become a part of your purpose and you can contribute, then what you've been through has a greater sense of meaning. And then there's three, I would call it sort of like purpose prompts. And there are three questions you can ask yourself or three things that can, you can really tap into to like get your butt moving. Number one is maybe what you're going to do right now is prove the naysayers wrong. The people who say you can't do it. That's a great way short term to have a motivator to stimulate a goal. Like, you know what? You say I can't do it. Screw you. I'm going to do it anyway. Right? That's a real powerful motivator for people, especially in the beginning. But that's not a purpose. That's a motivator. It's a, it's a prompt. It's pro- it gets you started, right? Because sometimes it's, it's like you have to like get in it for a while before you can clarify it. The, th- the second thing is you know, taking care of a loved one. I wanna like fo- I, I'm going to start this business because I want to make sure that my child is around a parent who is modeling someone who's living what they want to live. Where I wanna, you know, for me, it was I had to spend 30 grand to put my mom into rehab. Right, that was motivating my behavior for a period of time, or buying uh, my girl's parents a house. That was motivating my behavior for a period of time. Taking care of the people that you love, and the third thing is a mission larger than yourself, where it's not just about you anymore. It's about something much larger. And depending on where you are in the survival scale, and depending on where you are in your trauma work, one of those three things or all three will resonate with you. Um, either proving the haters wrong. That's a great way to get started. Uh, taking care of a loved one, that's also a great way to get started, or a mission larger than yourself. Because if you're in survival, you're not going to be focused on a mission larger than yourself. But proving somebody wrong, that's a great start. Um, event, and then you can move up from that process because there's a lot of people who want to start a business. They want to do something, and people are like, you can't do that. right? So just that, the, the, using that leverage to you know, start is huge. At the end of the day, when you get through all the survival stuff, you have abundance – it's always about solving a problem. And that's what I love about exponential thinking and exponential tech is that like we are focused on solving big problems. And so my problem, my focus is uh, emotional trauma. My moonshot is to put an end to emotional trauma in this lifetime, in my lifetime, uh, because I think it's the root cause of all the other problems. Because like Elon Musk can go to Mars, but if we don't solve the trauma, it's just be traumatized Martians. That's all it's going to be, because um, you know it gets passed on. <laughs> it's true, you know. Um, and most of these billionaire guys are just guys who got like made fun of in high school that like wanted to do the ultimate one up to the jocks and like get really far away from Earth. But it's like you'll bring your trauma with you. So there's a huge value in creating this like a Dyson sphere or some type of interplanetary system. You know that's awesome, and I'm all for it. I love Star Trek and Gene Roddenberry. But the other thing is, is that like you got to do your trauma work because otherwise you're just a traumatized person alone in Mars, right? 
And Matt Damon can tell you how that was. It was not a fun experience, right? So you have to you have to have this other element, and that's what motivates me today to have courage to get up, to you know bust my butt, to work hard. That motivates me. But in the beginning, it was just like proving the guy wrong who screwed me over in my first business. So there's different levels of it, I think. Uh, that's a uh, that was actually a surprisingly concise answer because it's a really big question. And <laughs> yeah, uh, sometimes I think there's great value in in coaching for that stuff. Uh, we all like to think, especially uh, guys like you or me who kind of have that alone thing uh, in our past, it's like, I, I've got this, I can handle it, like no one else can do it, but I've had <laughs> great value from working with, with coaches where they're like, uh, yep. did you look at that? And you're like, how can I not see that? <laughs> but if you don't have that mirror, sometimes it's, it's a spouse or a significant other, uh, depending on, on the type and quality of your relationship. But I, I think sometimes um, a coach is, is different than a therapist. You know, a therapist is going to do something else. Uh, but but maybe that's a, a part of the answer, and I know that you you train uh, you train people to do that kind of stuff themselves. I'm biased about coaching. Obviously, I create functional life coaching. Right. But the thing about just broad strokes, therapy is really focused on what happened, and uh, coaching is sort of focused on forward momentum on a very broad level. Mm-hmm. Functional coaching is a combination of what happens so that you can move forward. Um, and that's why I think it's a really cool um, sort of innovation on the space because – and also a lot of therapists today, I'm not knocking the profession, but there needs to be disruption and innovation because a lot of them are leaving the profession to become coaches because there's far too many limitations based on their license. Um, and the people want results, not a, necessarily just a licensed practitioner. Um, and I've had gestalt therapists and all kinds of th- – and marriage and family therapists, all kinds of people come to my work and go, how the heck do you do that? And I'm a college dropout who has, I mean, my only certification is in Ashtanga yoga. You know what I mean? Like, that's my only certification. So <laughs> I have zero certification. I just have experiential data. And I absolutely think that a mentor and a structure of support is absolutely essential over a period of time to get the result. And you have to have a mentor who's further ahead than you are. And the other thing is, as you're forming new beliefs and, and, and self-images, you need to be in an environment that matches that too. So it's not just enough to have a vision board. You got to really live in your vision board to make it happen because uh, over time, if you think beliefs or environment will win, environment will win 100% of the time. That is totally true. Uh, speaking of things, uh, my wife, Lana, just texted me. Uh, she saw that I was interviewing you on my calendar just now. And she said, tell Mastin and I said, hi, I actually ah. read his book and I actually liked it. So that was a real text no that just came through. No so way. That's I, so cool. You, that's amazing. Well, I, I give I'm, her all the books I get, but like you, Mastin, you must get like like five books a day people mail you to read. To yeah. So I have like a stack of them like all over <laughs> the place. Uh, but she actually was like, oh, I want to read that one. And, and she liked it. So, so there you go. That, that oh, truly oh just God, happened. That's so cool. Oh, my gosh. All right. I got one more question for you. Yes. If someone came to you tomorrow and said, Mastin, I want to perform better at everything I do as a human being, like on all levels, what are the three most important pieces of advice you have for me? What would you offer them? Uh, I would say the first thing is to really make sure that you're doing your trauma work and that you're making it your aim for success uh, at the next level to feel safe. That's, the next, that, that's super, super important. Success has to feel safe. Otherwise, you won't sustain it. Second thing is you got to be around a tribe of people who you're supporting and who's supporting you and you got to ask for help. Like that is, there's no shame in that. You can call it a mastermind. You can just call it friends, but you've got to be around people who are going to support you and lift you up. You absolutely hundred percent have to do that. And the third thing is get rid of any ideas of building billion dollar companies, being a best selling anything and just really focus on solving problems. If you want to be, you know, Naveen talks about this. If you want to be a, a billionaire, solve a $10 billion problem. <laughs> right, right. Right. 
So it's like get your mind off of yourself and know what you need to take care of yourself but really focus on solving problems and that will just completely change your life. Uh, those three things. If you're doing your trauma work and success feels safe, if you have a good supportive peer group and an environment that's nurturing and you're really truly actually focused on solving problems and not just trying to uh, appear that way, uh, you will you you will outperform anything that you think possible. And pretty soon people will be asking, hey, how'd you do that? That is fantastic. And Mastin, I know you're doing a bunch of live events now, which which is a new thing for you. Your book is Claim Your Power. Where can people find out more about the stuff you're working on? Yeah, so we actually um, the process of of the functional coaching. I've sort of you know been inspired by you, and I call it trauma hacking. And I really believe trauma hacking is a very interesting process people have to go through. And the Claim Your Power live event is a four day event. It's a it's a four day deep dive into the Claim Your Power functional coaching process. It's a it's a the thing of as hacking your nervous system and really helping success feel safe. And that's over at cleanyourpowerlive.com. And we're going to be in Orlando, Florida this year, uh, which is fun. It's July 12th to 15th. And it's a super fun event. And um, there's nothing quite like it out there. So yeah, if, that's a, that, that, if you want to do stuff with us, that's the best way to do it. Because the book is amazing. Um, but you know, there's nothing like a live experience. You know, Reading about an orgasm and having one are two different things. <laughs> <laughs> there you go. <laughs> Mastin, thanks for being on Bulletproof Radio. Dave, thanks for having me, man. I really appreciate it. It's been an honor to be here today. If you liked today's show, uh, you know what to do. Head on over to Amazon, pick up Claim Your Power, uh, which is a book worth reading, uh, mostly because of the foreword that I wrote. I mean, the rest of the stuff in there, I'm not really, okay, just kidding. Uh, it, it's a fantastic book. And while you're at it, if you like the book, leave a review for Mastin after you read it, or leave a review for me on, on the iTunes thing, bulletproof.com slash iTunes will take you there, or review one of my books. Um, authors like uh, Mastin and me, and we, we just talked about it in this episode, uh, just knowing what people think about your work actually matters. And knowing that your work is, is useful is incredibly motivating uh, for, for authors and creators. And when you take literally like 20 seconds to leave a, leave a few stars and say, I liked reading this, et cetera, et cetera, it actually helps other people, but it really helps authors like us create the next big thing. So thanks for taking the time to do that. The Human Upgrade, formerly Bulletproof Radio, was created and is hosted by Dave Asprey. The information contained in this podcast is provided for informational purposes only and is not intended for the purposes of diagnosing, treating, curing, or preventing any disease. Before using any products referenced on the podcast, consult with your healthcare provider, carefully read all labels, and heed all directions and cautions that accompany the products. 
Information found or received through the podcast should not be used in place of a consultation or advice from a healthcare provider. If you suspect you have a medical problem or should you have any healthcare questions, please promptly call or see your healthcare provider. This podcast, including Dave Asprey and the producers, disclaim responsibility for any possible adverse effects from the use of information contained herein. Opinions of guests are their own, and this podcast does not endorse or accept responsibility for statements made by guests. This podcast does not make any representations or warranties about guest qualifications or credibility. This podcast may contain paid endorsements and advertisements for products or services. Individuals on this podcast may have a direct or indirect financial interest in products or services referred to herein. This podcast is owned by Bulletproof Media.